Captain Kirk. Captain Sulu. As much to the crew of the Enterprise, I owe you my thanks. Nice to see you in action one more time, Captain Kirk. Take care. God, that's a big ship. Not so big as her captain, I think. Space, the final frontier. These are the recordings of the podcast Gimme That Star Trek. Its ongoing mission to explore all of Star Trek, to seek out new guests and new opinions, to boldly go where many have gone before. Welcome to episode 13 of Gimme That Star Trek, a proud member of the Fire and Water Network. I'm your host, Siskoid, and today I'm joined by fellow Sulu superfan David Ace Gutierrez for what I might call an ode to Hikaru Sulu, who so happens to be my favorite original series character, and might he be yours as well, David? Um, He's in the top four. <laughs> top four of the original series cast? The toss, yeah. I mean, because no one can ever take the place of the Holy Trinity in my heart ever 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 and i didn't name my son hikaru so you know that's right <laughs> no i love I'll, i love sulu thank you for having me on to discuss um my favorite helmsman slash captain right david's been on the show before a couple times so we'll skip the formalities of the usual quiz and we'll jump right into the action basically david why sulu for one thing he's the only member of, of the original crew to really come out from under the shadow of the enterprise and james t kirk and do his own thing i mean the fact that he was awarded his own ship I think, um, especially given the narrative restrictions of the crew, is pretty overwhelming and, and amazing. When you look back at the history of the of the films, uh, he was, I think, due for promotion in Star Trek II. According to uh, to Kay's book, he was supposed to. It, it was like a, an off the cuff remark that Kirk was supposed to make to Sulu, but Shatner kept botching the take. And so it was unusable, so uh, Sulu never got his on-screen promotion. Yes, I'm sure it was accidental. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. You know, he seems the most, and I, I we'll get into this soon too, the most, uh, the, the most developed of the underdeveloped cast. You know, so much focus is always placed on, and I'll say the four. Scotty often got a lot more to do than the other guys in the original series, and that tapered off a lot by the time the movies came along. But, you know, he was the guy who was always left in charge when the big three were gone. So um, Sulu somehow managed to rise above what I would call the like the lower deck syndrome. You know how a lot of the, the other crew members tend to be special because of just what they represented or what they were? Sulu wasn't, and forgive me if, if, if I sound ignorant saying this, but Sulu wasn't like, he was the Asian guy on the ship. It was more like, no, he's the guy that does a lot of shit that no one ever really realized. You know, does that make sense? Like, who, oh, yeah. Who, who was role was well she's the woman on the ship she's 
a prominent black presence on the ship. But Sulu never seemed to be given that title like, oh, he's the Asian guy or like, oh, he's the Russian guy. Um, he was just a very super multifaceted character that just somehow through sheer will of George Takei or <laughs> I don't know, like rose above and, and then became an equal to the celebrated captain of the series. It may be just a, uh, an artifact of just the way the writers were writing the series and needing someone to do this or do that and then putting Sulu in that role. And then it just turned out he, he was just like a like a dumping ground <laughs> for background and uh, you know special skills. It built him up to the point where uh, eventually, I think it, it is a sort of concession when he becomes captain. It's a concession in the sense that all of these guys by that time were basically... They were pretty high in rank by the time you get to six. I mean, when everybody's a commander or a captain, you've got like two, three captains on the ship. That's not a good use of resources. <laughs> so, it's fairly bloated. Yeah. By putting one member of the team on another ship and still making him useful to that story, you know, it, it sort of, it doesn't fix the problem, but it at least concedes something to, to logic. And that at least some of them would go on to have their own commands. I think, like, if this were, like, normal... The five-year mission would have been it. Yeah, and by the second or third film, for for sure, this would be a series about, you know, six or seven ships, <laughs> each commanded by one of them. Or, whole new crew, it'd be all the Savic, the class of, oh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it would have been Savic's um, crewmates. Kirk and Savic and just newbies, yeah. Yeah. I've sort of subdivided the conversation in sure. uh, a number of little topics, just as a bit of structure. There are a couple things that make Sulu interesting, multifaceted, and, and great. Uh, one of these is just the character growth. You mentioned it. So right. how he became a leader from astrophysicist to helmsman to eventually a captain. So let's talk about that journey, because he very much is a character that has had accidental or not, a sort of journey from the very lower decks to the captain's chair. What is this, Mr. Sulu? Mr. Spock has orders to kill you, Captain. He will succeed. Apparently. You will also appear to have killed him after a fierce battle. Regrettable, but it will leave me in command. The first time we, we see him, he's an astrophysicist, he's going on away missions, he is not the helmsman. They upgrade him to helmsman where, you know, it's, it's a more prominent role, you know, for the show, more useful role for the show. But we, we sort of see him, I think, get a taste of leadership very early on in, I think, one of the first moments in The Enemy Within. That's the right. one where Kirk fights his evil clone. And uh, he's the one that takes command of the away team that's trapped on that ice planet and he makes them he helps them survive the night basically yeah because he's because you know he i'm telling you sulu knows what to do he was he just he was just waiting for his moment i think especially given the fact that helmsmen tend to be the death roll like people talk about red shirts a lot of helmsmen died on that ship the consoles yeah. have a <laughs> nasty tendency to blow up yeah. <laughs> yeah there are notches on that helm for how many people didn't make it no that was uh that was sulu's testing ground and again you're probably right narratively while well, everyone else is doing something else so, so who do we and this is prior to checkup right so who do we give the 
we're not going to give it to Uhura. So, so who do we give the? So who do we give it to? Right? And uh, yeah, and it allows Decay to flex his his, uh, his leadership muscles. And I don't want to, of course, ever gloss over the fact that he's a pretty good actor. A role like that has no template or um, probably didn't have much in the way of the story bible, right? He's just the guy who <laughs> he just pushes buttons. But Takei, you know, he uh, imbues it with a lot of personality and weight. Yeah, a lot, there's humor in the in the performance, and uh, I kind of tried to track his career uh, in preparation for the show. Be, you know, by balance of terror, he's uh, a trusted advisor. He's, you know, this is something that sadly starts to disappear by the second season, where uh, allegedly or whatever, reportedly Shatner was taking lines away from the lower decks uh, characters. And so, uh, you know, why can't Spock just say this? Why can't this just be a scene with Spock or Bones? You know, building on only that relationship. And uh, Sulu and Uhura and Chekhov tend to disappear uh, the more we go ahead. But in the first season, it was more of an ensemble cast, a little more. So he has something to contribute tactically. That's an interesting facet that falls away after a while. Yeah. Uh, what did you, What did you think of the... Season one, Sulu? As opposed to the rest. Yeah, I think he had a lot more of the spotlight because there was, as you said, no one else really to do it. And by the time you get to two and three, a lot of things that went to him would have gone, ended up going to Chekhov's character, I think. That, that too, yeah. And vice versa. Up until a point, they're almost indistinguishable as characters. Does that make sense? They sort of serve the same role. And, uh, and even in terms of console function, they do sometimes like a, Almost like mistakes made, <laughs> where one will do something that you would think the other one would do, kind of a thing. Yeah, I would say season one for Sulu is probably Takei's best season. Although Naked Now is season season one. That's, yeah, that's an yeah, early that's, episode. Yeah, that is probably his his showcase out of the entire series is uh, the great fencing. <laughs> yeah, of Hukaru Sulu. Actually, he didn't even have a first name back then. No, he only gets that first name in Star Trek Six. Right. Do you do a Sulu? Do you have a Sulu? You mean do the voice? Yeah. Do you do the voice? I no, I don't really. I mean, everybody can do. Um, Takai. Yeah. Everybody can do, oh my, that, that thing. But <laughs> I, I don't know. I think I have the register for it. Yeah, that's what I was asking. But I don't do a whole lot of impressions. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't know. Sorry. I don't know. Do you do you have a, no, a Sulu? No, not, okay. on, not on purpose. <laughs> but season, no, but like you were saying, season one is the Sulu season. And then once you get Chekhov, it really tapers off. And even the animated series... Not that Sulu heavy. It's not until we get to the movies that we really get a chance to see him do things. And even so, it's kind of late into the movies. He does have, I think he gets the taste, uh, as far as the character goes, he gets a taste for command. Sometimes he's sort of left in command. By the second or third season, if all the cool characters are down <laughs> below. If Scotty's gone. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have much to do. In season one, he's left in command in Arena when Kirk is on, but he doesn't get to go to the captain's chair. So it's an errand of mercy, the first Klingon episode, that actually Sulu is in the chair. Let's call that this first taste of command. And from there, I think Sulu is perhaps ambitious enough to go for that position where all the other characters wanted to basically stay together as a family on the Enterprise, even though they went up in rank. But he's the one that perhaps had the call. Actually, you know, when you think about it, a lot of disservice to Sulu by the time you get to the motion picture, because he's not even in the chair. It's given to Decker, not quite a bit younger, but certainly when it wouldn't have the same level of experience that Sulu has. And I think Sulu is his XO in the 
book, if I'm not mistaken. It's still, he's Helmsman slash EXO. Before, you know, be- before they actually started giving the EXO their own chair and yeah. <laughs> sort of taking away the, the day-to-day responsibilities of running a ship, physically running a ship. It's not until, uh, well, maybe the supposed Captain CN2, and then, uh, Sulu really doesn't get a big moment, I think, until 3, when it's, uh, when it becomes a heist movie. And everybody has to do their thing. I say there's a touch of ambition in him because even though he doesn't outwardly, I mean, he's very uh, easygoing, right. you know, friendly with the rest of the crew. He doesn't seem necessarily ambitious, but uh, we do get a glimpse into that, let's call it a darker aspect of the character in Mirror Mirror. Yes. Because th- that Sulu is very ambitious and willing to kill Kirk and Spock and just make it look like they killed each other so that he becomes captain of the Enterprise. So obviously that is an alternate universe. It's a streak in him. Yeah, that that perhaps has you know a, a bit of truth in the the real Sulu. There's a, a character trait that is common to both. But the less rapey version. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> on the Prime Universe. Yeah, no, no, I, it, that's very true. That's that's a good observation. Well, that's a nature nurture thing, though, isn't it? Because uh, you know, Kirk also a terrible human being in the Mirror Universe. In our universe, uh, you know, just a a god of a human. Uh, well, uh, in in the regular universe, especially like later on, the third season or whatever, I think Kirk is always snapping at Sulu. It's like <laughs> he's unfair to Sulu, and it's it's like and I, again that you know if I create a background that wasn't actually there. Uh, it's like, uh, this is the guy that's always trying to... Nipping at my heels. Yeah, and he wants a promotion, and he's uh, an overachiever, for certainly. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's, his CV is daunting. It's, you know, I, if I saw that resume, I think, well, you know, this, this guy wants my job, or uh, he'll be off the ship in no time, so I have no, I have no loyalty to him. I don't know, it feels like already the Takai, or maybe it's the thing where... You know, Shatner and Takai aren't the best of friends, as we have come to learn. And uh, it just it sort of shows up in the performances. True. We might be assigning emotional value or, or some sort of uh, underpinnings to something that isn't there. But, you know, I, I don't, did you ever see that um, Mind Meld special with Shatner and Nimoy? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. It was just a, it's an hour long or so conversation between the two of them at, I think, Nimoy's house. And they're talking about the show and later the movies and one thing that shatner said that kind of rings true but to a point was that the series was always the big two and then the big three because you know i I don't think deforest kelly was added to the he wasn't a featured player until the second and third season credit wise i think right so according to shatner the three of them kelly nimoy and shatner were in virtually every scene and they were the ones that did the long hours of shooting and takes so there was a natural bond that formed between the three of them and a natural rivalry he said the other guys were maybe on the set one or two days oftentimes their their scenes were shot separately from the the big three so there wasn't a lot of room for camaraderie or bonding right so he never saw he shatner really never saw them as anything more than supporting players within the series like it was their show, and they, uh, their quote unquote, is the Trinity. I've never seen the special, but I, I've heard that from Shatner in other interviews, and possibly in Star Trek Memories, which I've read. That's what he says. I believe it. I mean, sure, it makes sense. If uh, somebody's only on the set once, once a week, uh, and you're palling around with the, you know, the, your your co-stars uh, who are there all week, 
then th- th- these are just day players to you. Right, right. I get it. I get that doesn't it. mean you have to be a jerk. No. But you're just not forming the bonds. And then he says that he, Shatner, went on to say that um, it was the conventions that really gave the supporting actors the idea that they were just as important as Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, or they were, they were as integral to the series. And so then the actors were started to demand that their roles be beefed up or have more substance because they themselves felt like they deserved it. The reason why the the conventions convinced them of that is that fans, you know, reached out to them. So uh, Hura is extremely important to uh, female and black fans. Yeah, and not just them. Uh, when I say Sulu is my favorite uh, original series character, I mean it. And my second, very close behind, is Uhura. So I'm not about the Trinity. I really oh, am wow. not. Not even so, Spock. Especially not Spock. Whoa. So, Hang sorry. on. Back up. <laughs> no, no. Well, that's a topic for another day. But <laughs> the space dock, my friend. What is? Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. I mean, this is this is the thing with me. Of course, at first approach, the show was about Kirk and Spock and Bones. Yeah. Of course. But I've watched these things so many times. I, I've gotten to that world so much. I start noticing the background players. I start liking the background players. I, I start liking what they represent. And then you, you, so you've got the heroes on top in the foreground, but the background to me is more interesting and more relatable to me somehow. You know, I don't want the show to be about Kirk, Uhura, and Sulu. That's, that's just not the dynamic. But when you ask me who my favorite characters are, who I, I long to see more of, who I enjoy when, oh, suddenly they get a featured scene in an episode, those two are up there. Interesting. Do you know anyone who's a Chekhov fan? Uh, not in my house, but uh, <laughs> of course, of course they exist. I think there are fans for every character, but... You know who I've always been curious about while you talk about background people? Really quick sidebar, I guess. Do you remember in Star Trek 2, there's that... He's an engineer, he's a black man, and he's just slumped against the back wall when Kirk and Spock are having their dramatic scene. I've always wanted to know his story. Because as an <laughs> actor, that guy probably fell asleep on the set, you know what I mean? Because he's just... <laughs> He's just there, not supposed to move while this tear, like this tearful, heartbreaking scene is happening around him. He's dead or dying of radiation poisoning, possibly. Yeah. Possibly. We need a novel. We need a novel just about that. Let's get to Star Trek VI. I want to talk about three really fast, because okay. three had a very crucial moment for Sulu. When he takes out that guard who calls him Tiny, flips him over, says, don't call me Tiny. The crowd goes wild, and that's when I think when people really realized he was kind of a badass. He just shut down this Cobra Kai guy and and uh, and made it possible for his for his uh, teammates to escape. The Kai didn't even like that part. He wanted that taken out. Well, there's a racist subtext to it. Oh, is well, uh, well, the idea that Asian people are smaller uh, than than other ethnic types. That's the problem he had with it. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, I don't think I think anyone any character that would have had that job in the film would have been called tiny and would have said that don't call me tiny because the the other guy was so huge. Right. He's a right. very very tall actor. And I think that's the joke. I but, thought that was the joke too. I never read anything else into it. For me it always seemed kind of oh well, he's not that tall. <laughs> Sulu isn't that small. But he was much wider than Sulu, too. I mean, he was just a bigger dude. Just like a football player type guy. That was for us, Siskoid. The guys who, the smaller guys, the guys who don't get to physically intimidate that other guy. That victory was for us. Uh, well, you, for, for you. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm six foot four. You enjoy <laughs> your aisle seat, my friend. I'm six foot four, but, uh, you know, let's, let's say, uh, slim. Let's, let's, go, <laughs> let's call me slim. 
As far as the like going to the captain's chair, I, I don't think Star Trek four or five really bring anything to the table except showing him as a, an extremely good pilot. Five also had him getting lost in the in the woods, but that's yeah. a secret. Uhura will never tell. And then uh, so in Star Trek six, it starts with him sitting in the captain's chair. I mean, it's basically we start the film with uh, Sulu in the captain's chair. Captain's log. And it's a magic moment. Oh, my God. When you saw that, did you know that? Well, first of all, did you know that was coming? Uh, I don't know. I don't remember now. But um, I, I just think it's a beautiful reveal because yeah. you're expecting it. You're expecting something else, another ship, obviously. Although they've done this before. Elsier, you might expect Captain Styles. I, I yeah. would not have expected Captain Styles. <laughs> I mean, just the way, I mean, the way it's framed, we get a whole sequence with him, and then he comes back at the end, uh, you know, riding on his uh, white horse, basically. Smile apart then. Oh, it's oh, that moment. That is my favorite bit, and I've talked about this before, because really the origins-ish of a Star Trek show on the Fire and Water Network is uh, for the anniversary, uh, our friend Chris Franklin did a, a, an anniversary show, and he asked each of us to to send a little clip about our favorite, you know, original cast moment. And my moment was that, the flyer apart then, and specifically flyer apart then on the, whatever, the, like the, the one day they ran on TV. It's not the same edit. Oh, oh. As oh, it's not? It's not really? It's not the theatrical edit, and it is not the DVD edit. So it's an edit that doesn't exist anywhere. Uh, except that's the one they ran on, uh, you know, on TV. Because the way it's played is that in the theatrical and in the the film, as you can get it on DVD, it goes, "Come on, come on!" That's what he says. Yeah. You know, he's racing to go save Kirk. So it's like, "Come on, come on!" Like a horse, right? Like he'd be like he'd be slapping the horse or something to to make it charge faster. Yeah. The helmsman says, "She'll fly apart," and he says, "Fly her apart then." And then it cuts in the theatrical and DVD. It cuts to some of the Kittermer Conference stuff. So it just goes like dead air kind right. of thing because it's just Kittermer Conference while an assassin is setting up. In the TV edit, it goes fly apart then and a torpedo rushes out of the bird of prey hitting the Enterprise. So they've, they've cut out a lot of that fluff where it's just Kittermer preparations. And <laughs> so it goes fly apart then and it. Oh, it, it amps up the danger. Of oh, it. man. Oh, man. That's like such a great edit. And I saw that version of the film like a hundred times. I was in the middle of uh, the marital strife, let's call it. And uh, so I was coming home to an empty house. I was eating dinner every night with half of Star Trek VI. It's like I'd wa I was watching Star Trek VI on TV and I thought, oh, I should tape it. And then I started taping at like the midpoint. And so I was watching that last half every day for, I don't know, a few months. And, uh, <laughs> and I mean, that thing is really burned into my mind. And it's part of the reason I, I love Sulu so much, because he's part of that experience. Is it fair to say that, you know, your great love and interest in Sulu really comes from the Star Trek VI? No. Because I have to admit to that. A lot of mine, I mean, I think that um, crystallized a lot of it, right? That was the part where you say, oh, my God, this guy is a badass. But I always love, like, the little touches with Sulu. Like, he, do you remember in Star Trek One where, when Kirk finally gets on the bridge and everyone gets up and they're like, Captain? And he and, and uh, Uhura look like, hey, Dad's home. 
You know what I mean? You know what I mean? <laughs> there was this look of genuine excitement. And I thought, wow, he really likes this guy. Because <laughs> you have to remember, in Star Trek One, Kirk's a jerk throughout most of it. I mean, he's just – he's a terrible guy trying to get the ship back and being a jerk to Deckard and, and everything. And um, But he looks like he's so content. And then in um, – in Rathacon, when his voice – God, oh, God, I'm a good <laughs> Stupid David. When his voice breaks, when uh, Spock's already dead and they're sending his voice into the torpedo and Sulu calls for attention, his voice breaks a little bit. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels, his was the most human. Others. Oh, that's such a good touch, George. And maybe Nick Meyer. I don't know. Maybe. But you, that yeah. it was these little touches, that, these little flecks of Sulu that really start to make me like him. And I think because that's kind of how I felt at the time. Like Kirk's keep kind of keeping it together. And I and I talked about this on Rob Kelly's show. I was a wreck for two. I still get like, Jesus, still happening. <laughs> yeah, no, I um, get it. <laughs> um, even Sulu, who... You don't really know about a closeness with Spock or not, but he like his voice breaks. It's like if you're at a funeral and you look around and you're and you look at somebody and you're like, "Don't cry, don't cry, don't cry," and somebody cries and you're like, "Shit, okay, I can cry." <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a little bit like that. Um, in four, I just love that he. I get it. Kirk's from Iowa. I never gave two about Iowa. Bones is the Southern doctor, I think, from Kentucky, right? Or Georgia? Isn't it Georgia? Georgia I think it's Georgia. Sorry, sorry. I have a. I, I'm afraid of the South. And then um, Sulu says, San Francisco, I was born there. And the, oh, what? A little nugget. You know what I mean? Fly a Huey? What can't you do, Sulu? You know what I mean? It was like, how, how would you have any knowledge of this hunt of this centuries old technology? And yeah, it's it's a bit of a narrative cheat. But look at you go. You know what I mean? You know, all this stuff. And uh, and then the fact that he just kind of figures out how to how to fly a bird of prey. On the fly. I think that's the uh, one of the reasons I love Sulu so much. And really, this is, we've talked about his character growth and his character arc, but really, one of the reasons I, I like him so much is, this, let's call it the second topic I wanted to broach, is that he's he has a lot of hobbies. Yeah. So relatable to me. Uh, anyone who knows me, who's read any of my um, blogs or listened to any of my podcasts will realize that I am very much that kind of person. Uh, you know, passionate about so many things, a generalist more than a specialist. That's what he is, because the first time they, they have need of this is uh, when he's somehow has an interest in botany, which right. pretty far removed from astrophysics. You know. The puppet plant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Beauregard. So he has an interest in botany. And then we find out in Shore Leave that he collects ancient weapons. Uh, so that explains the foil. So certainly right. all the fencing, the fencing is part of his hobbies. Uh, and then collecting old guns. I mean, that's not the same kind of, not the same kind. Of, and it explains perhaps why he has flown or has an interest in old helicopters. You know, he likes history and old technology and and tea. He's a classy man. I mean, you know, in Star Trek Three, uh, we find out he has skill in judo, and that's used again. In, actually, that was first used in um, the uh, animated series. Not something that we see on the. I mean, if you're a fencer and that's your primary 
Right. It's a different kind of martial art. Combat. Yeah, completely. But he's interested in all of that. And really, even by uh, what we've, uh, the other nugget we find out much later in Generations is that he, all this time, he had a family and he has a daughter. Well, you don't know that he had a family. No, uh, he has right. a daughter at least. Yeah. So he's also found time for that. He found five minutes. <laughs> at least, right? At least. Yeah. In the novels, they sort of say, yeah, it was just a, um, a dalliance. And uh, he only found out about a daughter eight years later, sort of thing. No one's a good parent on the Enterprise. Bones is away from his daughter forever. Kirk doesn't have, well, he doesn't even know he has a kid. That's not his fault, but yeah. still no presence in the child's life. According to the novel, Sulu is not a presence in Demora's life. Yeah, they're all... Well, it, that that happened, at least. Yeah. Uh, because we don't know the... Cir- I mean, the novels are whatever. Uh, we don't know the circumstances of it. And the other characters feel like, um, you know, Sulu found time for that. And that they're surprised. Oh, right, 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 right. Right, so... And, and wistful. And it's like the road not taken. And it's not like Sulu sacrificed his career for this, however it did happen, you know. Uh, so to them, it's like, when did Sulu have time for this? Sulu has time for everything. That's that's the whole point. And it's also implied that there's a, a strong, maybe maybe a strong relationship that he had with Chekhov, because Chekhov and Demora seem very familiar with one mm-hmm, another. Yeah, so that's right. So it's kind of implied that um, Sulu exposed his daughter to... Well, that sounds weird. But Sulu, <laughs> Sulu's daughter and and Chekhov knew each other pretty well, or at least at least well enough that there would be some real recognition there. That whole idea of him being a hobbyist and liking a lot of things and maybe switching gears all the time is like, oh well, I, I'm done with this botany lark. Uh, you know, he likes capes, <laughs> wears a mean cape, yeah. uh, fashion icon. Yeah, and you know, eventually one of the last nuggets we actually get would be that he or Demora or apparently both, uh, according to the novels, suggested Chakotay for the uh, Starfleet Academy. Oh, that's right. So there, there's a thing there as well. So they, they stayed, Sulu apparently stayed a sort of an elder statesman that whose word was as good as gold, I mean, just like Kirk. He's had the same kind of career as Kirk, perhaps not right. as young as Kirk when he got to it, but he's had the same sort of trajectory and yet managed to have so many more hobbies, live life to the fullest. Uh, you know, there's a sense in George Shakai's energy, even during the original series. You mentioned it, you know, that there's an excitement there. And I think that's always in his performance somewhere. There's an energy that is just loving this so much. And even when he's stern or in pain or whatever can happen in an episode or a film, you know, there, there's something about Sulu that is at once a calm center and yet a source of, you know, intense energies, very intense. No, he's uh, he's definitely a force to be reckoned with. Not as, and, and the ship was uh, described as being not – his ship was described as being not as big as her captain. He's probably – yeah, you're right. Probably the most well-rounded of all the characters. Everyone else seems a, a bit more one-dimensional. Even the big three are very strict in their tracks. But, yeah, Sulu – uh, maybe for lack of of other actors, <laughs> just has so had so much a lot. He's he's been allowed to be developed more than anybody else. I think more so even than than Scotty, who was kind of the fourth guy a lot for a long time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's do some favorite moments that we haven't already mentioned. Sure. That maybe didn't fit in you know those two topics. So what what are you some some of your favorite moments uh, from the show and films? Well, I love it in um in the opening of six because he's drinking his tea and doesn't it feel like. The Excelsior is just a classier ship. I mean, it's newer, <laughs> it's brighter, but it feels like maybe because of of the precedent set by Styles when it was the NX 
2000 before the NCC 2000. He's got his little cane and he's polishing the knob on his cane. But it seems like this is the this is the classy ship. He's got his own tea set and he's got a little he's got a little stand for it. I just love the fact that there's a regality to Sulu on the ship. When he and Kirk finally gets a hold of the Excelsior, Kirk warns Sulu that he'll probably get into trouble with Federation for for treason if he's discovered to be talking to Kirk and Sulu, you know, immediately says your transmission's breaking apart, sir. You know, he's got his back, even though <laughs> he's finally got his own ship. He's risking everyone. But then, and my heart breaks a little with this scene, when he tells Christian Slater to, you know, do you have a hearing problem, mister? That bit, that's great. I, I, yeah. I just wish it was somebody else who was making <laughs> dress well, Slater signed up for it, uh, you know, just uh, do a little cameo. That, that same moment recurs with uh, Tuvok. In the role of Christian Slater, uh, more or less, uh, in oh, yeah. the in Voyager's flashback, maybe a good time to, to talk about this because it goes right to your point. In that Voyager episode, which was like for the anniversary, Voyager's take on trials and tribulations because Sulu is not in that. First, you know, there's also a hero shot this as with the T, but this one there's a hero shot for Sulu when he comes out of the steam, uh, which is great. All and right. then they've got uh, and he gets to negotiate passage to Kittimer, uh with Kang, so return of Kang, and it's, it's very, you know, it's very uh, smiling through, through your teeth kind of moment, where <laughs> oh, thanks for the escort, uh, you know, he's kind of smiling his way through the situation, and then, of course, pulling a, a trick on Kang, and then Tuvok tries to stop them. Ensign Tuvok, apparently on the ship all this time. An idiot. Fresh out of the academy, and he says, it's, this is against regulations, this is treason, the, you, we can't do this. Sulu gets a speech about you know the fact that when you serve with some you know some people when you serve with them they become your family you have a, a loyalty and a duty to them and he has a little speech as very original series uh and content and is the reason why he would risk his whole career is the reason why he was so excited to see kirk in one is the reason why his voice broke uh, at spock's funeral because even if he wasn't necessarily close with them as far as what we see on screen, that bond is stronger than anything we personally can imagine. You know, unless you've served with others, that kind of love is not necessarily something we know. Right. And I felt this. I mean, I, uh, I'm not, I'm not a military person by any means, but the fact we, we sometimes use that term in uh, improv uh, because we go to tournaments together. We, uh, we've been in teams together. We've, that's a large part of my life and we call it being in the trenches together. Right, the comedy trenches. Because especially if you're organizing stuff, which is pretty much what I do on my end is organizing the stuff. Organizing any event will be hell on earth. And you're going through these hardships, uh, even though they're not life-threatening, they're certainly ego-threatening. And, you know, you're going through this with other people. And after that, when you come out of that, let's call it a war, uh, you've served with them, and there is a bond that exists between improv players. Uh, that that must be it for any kind of activity that that sure. you know, plays on teamwork like that. Right. So it is it is relatable to me that aspect of it, and that's what Sulu basically tells Tuvok. You'll find that more happens on the bridge of a starship than just carrying out orders and observing regulations. There is a sense of loyalty to the men and women you serve with, a sense of family. Those two men on trial, I served with them for a long time. I owe them my life a dozen times over, and right now they're in trouble, and I'm going to help them. 
Let the regulations be damned. Sir, that is the most illogical line of reasoning. You better believe it. Helm, engage! So that's a great like TOS moment, and Janeway can go screw off with her comments during that episode. Um, <laughs> that's oh, that's right. She she and she ran contrary to. The- yeah, she says the Toss crew would not have been accepted in Starfleet these days. Says the Maverick who breaks every damn rule. Shut up! Wow, I hate her so much in that moment. They would not have been accepted into Starfleet today. It's a dig, and it comes in an anniversary special episode. So it's like. <laughs> You know, Washington would have made a shitty president. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I did like that Tuvok got dressed down for, for daring to speak to our to our wonderful captain that way. But Star Trek Six, really, that, that's all, a, you know, the behind the scenes. I call it the Sulu movie. Yeah. If you put all of that together, let's put, like, the flashback stuff with the uh, Star Trek Six stuff, you could actually have a, a reasonable Sulu movie edit uh, where you'd see his side of, of the adventure, you know? <laughs> But Star Trek Six has all really the best lines. I mean, uh, we mentioned Flyer Apart, which is awesome. But there's uh, uh, when he's after Praxis explodes in the teaser. Uh, do we report this, sir? Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> That's you know, uh, yeah. just he, he gets all the best one-liners in that film. And and then he even uh, saves the day. Oh yeah, he saves the day. And he's the last to beam down. You know, he's got his phaser drawn. Stop some uh, collaborators from escaping. Sulu has some great moments in that, which isn't to say he doesn't have some great moments in uh, the other films. It's just or fewer. It took him not being involved in Shatner scenes <laughs> to be able to, to really shot. Yeah, him. because certainly not my favorite scenes uh, would be all those times he's been sort of spaced out and uh, taken control of, uh, which happened regularly on the original series and right up to Star Trek V. Uh, he's the one getting zonked, so to speak, by, you know, whatever, Spores and Cybok and Telepass and Landru. And uh, he's always kind of plays that spacey, uh, groovy kind of kind of stuff. Which, <laughs> uh, it's, it's like a running gag. It's what I use for uh, drinking games. Uh, so those aren't my favorite moments at all that he's always been given that. But there, there's so many little moments and bigger moments by the time we get to Star Trek Six that you know, you get a character who I, I find it hard to tell you what my top five moments would be, you know. Like so many. Which isn't a problem I have with Chekhov, for example. <laughs> I don't know if I have five. <laughs> Spectre of the gun. Um <laughs> I don't know. Done. What about New Sulu? New Sulu is uh, uh John Cho. First of all, is a perfectly good actor. I've liked him in other things. That Sulu has to be the movie Sulu. And the movies are really a distilla- an action version and a distillation of what you remember from Star Trek sort of thing. Everything you remember about Sulu is in this Sulu, but it's got to be super focused, super concentrated, right. and super action-y. So, of course, he's the best pilot of them all right off the bat. You know, there's no question. Except he forgets to turn the brake off. Is that really a problem, or is that you know somebody who likes to drive? It saved it saved their life, though. It saved everybody's life because they they would they would have been ambushed and destroyed instantly. Intuitive is what is what he is. <laughs> <laughs> One of the best known things about Sulu is the Naked Now and the episode where he's bare chested and fighting with a foil. So of course you need to see him showcase some swordsmanship in the films so in the first film he's got that collapsible sword which makes perfect sense by the way that you would be that everyone actually should be 
uh, trained in swordsmanship if they're going to be uh, fighting in outer space. Oh, right, because it's a non-projectile weapon. Makes perfect sense. And you, all you got to do is puncture a spacesuit, right? Whether the Epe or Epe. So, so you got to see that. You got to see that in an action scene, and it's not a little character bit or a little hobby on the side. It's got to be part of the whole character. So, everything you remember about Sulu is put in the film, and it's put in the film the most efficient way, and that's what that is. That was kind of treated as a joke at first, though, because they just ask who's got hand-to-hand combat experience. And actually, all of them should, right? Coming out of the academy, mm-hmm. <laughs> you would think that that's kind of part of it, because it's it's more military by this point. I think we've established it pretty much a military wing as much as it is an exploratory one. Anyway, he goes, and then Kirk asks him what, what he knows, and Sulu says fencing, so it's supposed to be like, a, oh, God, what kind of mess are we getting ourselves into because we have this fencing kit? But then... Yeah, he pulls out the collapsible sword, and, it's, and it becomes the Highlander moment. You've got to see that. In the same way, we know that Sulu eventually captains his own ship, so they've got to put that in the films, and he's quickly given a command moment in Into Darkness, uh, where he oh, yeah. he gets to be stern, and you know it's, it's a good moment for, for that character, pretty much his only real moment in that film, I guess. But, <laughs> but, you, know, but you know, you've got to do that bit. Star Trek Beyond is the best balanced of the films as far as giving everyone something to do and cool moments and teamwork. That one has like the, the nose dive that turns into uh, you know a way to kickstart the USS Franklin. He's also given command of the bridge at one point when uh, Kirk goes to battle everyone. But this is before the Enterprise is destroyed. So he's in command of the bridge and I think even orders the evacuation of the ship. He goes against, uh, I think, I guess he goes against Spock, right? He gets some hero moments, uh, as they all do in that one. I think that's the, the better film for the ensemble, certainly. And, and, and that's the one where we see uh, that this one, this Sulu, does have a family. You know, at, at the end, he rushes to presumably a husband, because that's what the script says it is, but uh, it's a little bit more subtle than that. Uh, but he, race, he runs to a husband and daughter. Again, this is a Sulu that has a full life. And, uh, and more clearly a full life because that's a family, whereas the original series, Sulu, that's not necessarily the case. Or we don't know that it's the case, and the extra canon has decided it is not the case. And again, that what do we know about Sulu? We know that he was played by George Takai. We know that George Takai is an LGBTQ plus activist of renown, uh, that he is a gay man. And so they made that Sulu gay, which is something Takai was not in agreement with, he thought, right. you know, he felt that the character was uh, written and played uh, straight in the uh, the original canon. And so that this was, though it was, you know, a flattering wink at the actor who played the original Sulu, it was not the character of Sulu. Fair point. But again, it's it's all about concentrating everything the, you know, that's in pop culture about Sulu or about any of these characters and and distillating it into a its purest most concentrated form so that it's instantly recognizable even though it might be you know remixed in some way. Do you like John Cho as Sulu? I like the new Sulu. I I don't uh, I think I like pretty much everyone in that cast. So that's it's not a problem for me and I've liked John Cho in other things. He's no George Takai, but that's just, you know, that's not his fault. Yeah. Yeah. If if you live with uh, George Takai Sulu for uh, 50 years, I'm, I'm not that old, but I mean, you know, ever since I when I discovered Star right. Trek, he's he, your Sulu. He's all our Sulu. You know. Uh, <laughs> come on, come on. No, no one. If you say who played Sulu, nobody's gonna go to John Cho first. I'm sorry. So yeah, of course. But uh, I think it's a reasonable. And I think one of the things that I was looking for in the new series of films 
was that it was not that the characters were recognizable, but were not impressions of what the original actors were doing. John Cho is not doing George Takai. Uh, I think there. Are, I think only uh, Carl Urban is really sort of doing an impression. I felt yes, but um, everybody else has their own take and yet feel like they could be that character. So that's fine. Uh, and John Cho is among them. I you know. So I, I rate him. He's fine. When I see him on screen and is Sulu, it does not diminish my love of the character and I, I see him as that character and I, I like to see him have hero moments because I like Sulu as a character beyond whatever actor might play him. Were you hoping I remember Takei was um, campaigning for this at one point a Mr. Sulu adventure series? I think this was after Voyager was going off the air. I, and I think actually that that happened after Star Trek VI. Uh, okay. There was a campaign by some fans to uh, to get that show on the road. I mean at that time uh, next Gen was in its third year or so, I think. So that the next spinoff, instead of Deep Space Nine, would have been, might have been, uh, you know, a, a Sulu show set during the movie era. Uh, yeah. I would not have been opposed to that, although uh, in retrospect, I would not have wanted to be robbed of Deep Space Nine, which I think is the ultimate achievement of Star Trek. But um, that would have been cool. I did not know at the time that there was a campaign for this. I, you know, I only found out about it much, 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 much later. I thought you would have been heading that. No, because the I saw a six in the theater, and the Sulu moments were crowd pleasers. People love the flyer apart, then all that. The are you kidding? Brought the house down. Takei does it with such great. His delivery for that line is fantastic. Like I can't believe you're asking me this. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with you, Mr. Voltaine? What is wrong with you? But but well, uh, I love that relationship he has to his crew. It's really he it dresses them down like. It's like, why are you questioning my orders? Yeah. <laughs> but Janice Rand understands him. She's his number one. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. He's like so. He's up there for me. I've always loved Sulu. Yeah. I mean, you asked me the question, but you didn't answer it yourself. How do you rate John Cho's performance as Sulu? I like him. As much as I love my, my TOS and my uh, original series movies, as far as I can see, there's only been two good NU Trek movies, one and three, right? I mean, it's two out of three, which is good. Yeah, but number two is so terrible. I mean, I think it plummets the average. <laughs> it's like a zero percent for me. Anyway, I think he's fine. And everyone, I think, does a great job. My only problem with the new movies is the removal of the Holy Trinity or the replacement of Bones with Uhura as the third main person. I don't have a problem with the Spock-Uhura relationship. Well, you're just looking at it through a different prism, I guess, for this new for this new batch of kids. So that's fine. But it's not my track necessarily. It's not it's not the relationship that I wanted to see. That's my only gripe. But Cho is great. He's great. I don't but I'll never see him as Sulu like I see Takei as Sulu. Because Cho is a uh, is Harold to me. You know what I mean? Or uh From uh, Harold Kumar. The thing about this new batch of actors, and I think they see themselves as this more than as much as the audience, these are just more roles for them. Do you know what I mean? I feel like I'm watching actors in a movie playing the roles of these characters I love versus I feel like I'm watching these characters I love. Does that make sense? It makes sense because the original series cast, especially the the lower decks, aren't known for very much else. You know, right. they, they became those roles in a sense. They became stars because of that show. We're not stars to begin with. And uh, the, the, the movie people, you know, I could, I could just rhyme off their other roles. And, you know, it's, it's a movie with Judge Dredd, Siler from uh, Heroes, Jack Ryan, you know, Gamora. It, they're all in other movies and they're all big stars, you know, on their own. And so it's hard to see 
any of them as that character principally. We, you think of them as the actor first and right. foremost. So that that destroys the illusion. I think it's a popcorn movie version of Star Trek, and it's not meant to do what the TV show used to do. It can't. It, it can't, and, and, and shouldn't try to. And I think even the original series movies... Not TV Trek. No, they were very action-based, many of them. Uh, and, and the ones that were successful were certainly more right. action-based. So, I mean, it's a different medium. It, it requires different kinds of stories. And I have not a problem with this. I, I think a lot of people bristle at the idea that this is, oh, this is supposed to be the new generation's Trek and this is all they'll sure. know. Well, you know what? If you're interested in Trek and the universe of Trek, you'll find that all the series are on Netflix. I mean, you'll find the original series, and not just the original, but, you know, the, the, the four or five series that there are. And um, if you're interested enough in that world, You'll fall in love with the TOS cast. You'll fall in love with the TNG cast or whichever show you, you want to get into. It's not like for a certain generation, this is Trek and it's nothing else. Basically a three and hopefully four picture deal for big names. You know, that's not what Trek is any more than Doctor Who is just about David Tennant. It's, well, right, because it, it's about Paul McGann. Always will be. Okay. Have you read any of the uh, books, comics, or uh, you know any of the extra canon that might feature Sulu? Was IDW did a series spotlighting the captains yeah. that weren't Kirk. Um, so I read the, the Sulu book. And I read uh, The Captain's Daughter. I think that was by Peter David a long time ago. That was interesting. He's got a good hold on Sulu. And Demora was kind of a blank slate anyway, right? She had like four lines. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Peter David also uh, gave Sulu a bit of an update in terms of career. Uh, because in Q Squared, also one of his books, he made him gain the rank of Commodore. Interesting, because in the 150 Years of the Federation book that came – well, there was a special set that came out mm -hmm. a while ago, and um, Admiral Sulu delivered an address. So uh, we can imagine this character going all the way. Of course. He should run Starfleet. Here's the postscript <laughs> to this. William Shatner's novel, The Return. Oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> is that where he gets Borgified? Yeah, where, yeah. where Kirk is resurrected. He beats up Worf. Oh, I mean, he destroys the Borg home world. It's like superhero Kirk is is what this is. Uh, so basically, Shatner's fanfic about himself. <laughs> great stuff. I love it. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, it's, it's exciting stuff. It's fun, but of course, it's totally about his ego. But um, <laughs> in that, it says that uh, Sulu retired and entered politics and eventually became uh, president of the uh, United Federation of Planets. Ah, so that's. That's what Shatner had in mind for uh, Sulu. That was probably the Reeves's, right? It was a uh, Garth and Judith uh, Reeves. Yeah, yeah, the, the Ghost Riders or not so Ghost Riders, maybe. Um, but maybe that's just. Uh, yeah, I think Shatner just wants Sulu out of the captain's chair. <laughs> that's true. Everyone, yeah, yeah. He he decks Picard a few times in those novels. He's always besting him or uh, yeah. showing him up. <laughs> so that's what might be the end game for uh, Sulu, at least in the extra canon. You know, I, I guess sort of want to end on how um, Takai himself described the character. Sure. Uh, in an interview, because I thought it was interesting and it, it spoke to a point that you brought up very early on in this conversation. And that that he sees the character as a true 23rd century man. So an Earth man, not an ethnocentric character like Scotty or Chekhov were who had their accents and were obviously from that region or country, patriotic about it. So Sulu is this, he's an Asian man, is obviously of Japanese descent, 
but he was born in the United States, as we find out. But he's also obviously apparently a fan of you know French novels because uh, the whole foil thing, the whole, you know, it's Three Musketeers, and right. So he's he's really the Renaissance man that we've come to identify with Star Trek. The, the Renaissance man that Picard is. Oh yeah. I'm not saying Kirk isn't a Renaissance man uh, because he's interested in Shakespeare and but Picard plays music, loves the arts, is into archaeology and science and yet literature and a That's leader and someone who you know who comes from a family who sort of worshipped the old ways with the vineyard and all that. So Sulu is that kind of character, a sort of uh, a man uh, that represents the entire earth an earth man he's not defined by his ethnicity and and that's actually how it comes across when you look at all those little bits he's not played as the asian character as you said so uh and that's not his idea of him right. either so he was just playing him as a human being and a representative of our entire planet and he got to have his character have interests in not just the culture that would have been a cliche but Every human culture. And I do want to say that's not to minimize the importance of having Uhura on the bridge or even Takei who, you know, this is less than two decades after Pearl Harbor and uh, in World War II, a Japanese-American on the ship. Huge deal, right, in the time frame in which the show was, was filmed. But he just seemed to be allowed as a character to have some more liberties that gave him a greater, I guess, uh, breadth more exposure and experience than the other guys who just seem to be, as you said, like like Scotty, who's, oh, he's Scottish. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, because the Scottish character is a Scottish cliche. You know, he right. drinks scotch and, uh, you know, it's it, he's almost, he's a Mike Myers character. And then you've got Chekhov, who is a parody of Russians and Russian right. pride and all that. And they've got those thick accents, too, that, that aren't natural to them. <laughs> so it is a caricature. Whereas oh, right. Sulu doesn't have to do that. He's not forced into some kind of Japanese accent or, you know, however they might have played it, which would have right. been, in his case, racially insensitive. Whereas you can have white guys doing that kind of thing. Maybe that's, that was part of the, part of the thing, but it just makes Sulu more complex because he's not being played as a caricature, which I'm sorry to say those others were, even though we might love them and they might have had some great moments. Uh, you know, Sulu has can be more restrained. The, the, you know, the same way that Uhura isn't. Uh, she speaks Swahili in one in, in one episode when she's regressed to. Uh, you know, she loses memories and skills, so she regresses to uh, Swahili. So that makes her, you know, from a, a, a certain region, which is great. You want a united Earth. You want to have people from every continent in there. But sometimes it's enough that that they were there. That right. that you have an Asian character on the bridge and you have a black character on the bridge and just to show that those biases have, have gone out of fashion i can't tell you how big a deal it was for me as a kid to hear that there was a sanchez on the ship once it's huge for me huge just the same way that my heart leaps when somebody is coined as a canadian or french canadian never happens so you know i well, I'll, I'll take the michael eddingtons of this world <laughs> or uh who was the guy from lower decks you said his, his, his sam lavelle but when i looked again when we talked about this and i looked again his grandfather was canadian so he's not right. a canadian character at all <laughs> anyway. So Michael Eddington, it is crossing fingers for discovery. <laughs> Maybe Lorca is Canadian because half the actors are Canadian. So that's true. Uh, so any final uh, thoughts on uh, on Sulu before we uh, head into um, incoming transmissions? Just that um, he's the dark horse of the he's the George Harrison 
of these guys, right? The guy that nobody expected much from all of a sudden comes through with a triple album that everybody <laughs> loves. It's universally praised. And by that, I mean Star Trek six on the Excelsior and becomes, I would say, stands alongside the big three. On his own. Well said. To me, Sulu would always be, you know, my number one until I fall in love with another character. I think when I rewatched uh, the original series at one point uh, in its entirety, it sort of Uhura started shifting forward. Really? I'm that kind of fan, I guess. Uh, I like the underdog. Just liking Star Trek when it's not necessarily cool to like it. <laughs> oh boy, I, I can relate to that. So it's the same. <laughs> it's the same idea, you know. Uh, so I've always loved Sulu, and I think Star Trek Six for me was the the big. I've got to go back and watch all the episodes, and I've got to see the the roots of this character. I, I've got to see this character blossom as he blossoms. What would you recommend people check out, then? Your Sulu library would be what? Well, the, the Sulu library would obviously have The Naked Time, which is the uh, the bare-chested foil fighting Sulu. You That one is a must. I think it's the, the, big, the first big showcase for Sulu. I think you've got to watch the um, Mirror Mirror with the evil... Uh, Sulu, that's, you know, it's delightful to see, uh, George Takai play that arch villain. Uh, that's a lot of fun. Uh, obviously you'd have Star Trek 6 and a flashback at the end of it, although you've got to suffer through a Voyager episode. <laughs> I still think it's got some good moments for him. Any Star Trek original cast library should include Star Trek 2, 3, and 4, just to get that full, complete story and, uh, Sulu gets, you know, not a lot to do in the second one, but three and four have some good moments. Those would be in there as well. Uh, I don't know. What else should I have in there? Um, I think that's it. I mean, that pretty much covers it. You know, you've got some others. I think you're, there's some uh, fun uh, gay subtext in uh, That Which Survives. I, what's the one with um, uh, Lee Merriweather uh, oh. dressed as a genie? Um, that which survives, isn't it? That's it? Okay. Anyway, that's one of the last episodes, and it's the last one to really feature him. And uh, if you want some fun gay subtext, <laughs> just like just to prove Star Trek Beyond right or something, that maybe Sulu, uh, although he, he did have interest in women through the series, uh, he refuses the touch of Lazira in that. He calls out for the captain and Bones, and those two are reclining together behind a rock <laughs> when you see them again, so... Uh, there's a bit of slash fic there as well. So it's, it's funny. Yeah, he pops up here and again and gets a scene, but it's hard to say, watch that episode because it's the ultimate Sulu episode. There are no ultimate Sulu episodes. Uh, is basically the point. Not until Star Trek Six. I agree. Well, we'll uh, let you beam back down to your planet. Take us out, Mr. Siskoid. <laughs> I will. We're, we're going to take a small break. I'll come back with Subspace Transmissions, which is Star Trek news and your feedback from the previous episode. So which is the hottest Marvel character? Iron Man. Eight Man. I can't decide between Professor X and Magneto, so both. Loki. Is Wolverine Marvel? What about uh, White Tiger? What about White Tiger? Uh, <laughs> Doc Samson. Who's he? Star Fox. That's a video game. The girls go on a journey to determine every Marvel character's hotness in Ohatmu or Not, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe podcast you didn't know you wanted. Available on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Stop and listen! Stop and listen to me! Listen! Listen! Listen to me! November 4th, 1988, Earth is invaded by an alien alliance composed of several species, including the Dominators, the Kunz, the Danegarians, and the Durlins. 
and they want our superheroes. Even though Australia has been decimated, the United Nations response is unequivocal. Drop dead. First Strike, the Invasion podcast, takes you back to that moment in time and covers the entire Invasion DC Comics crossover. Issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes. First Strike, the Invasion podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember, Melbourne. Incoming subspace transmissions. In Star Trek news, uh, still being very careful with giving away too much in these transmissions, but some tidbits that are spoiler light. Uh, it's been announced that Tribbles will appear on Star Trek Discovery, and at the other end of the scale, uh, the series is going to be a hard PG-13. One imagines uh, those two pieces of news are not connected. Uh, what does... PG-13 mean in the Star Trek context? Well, the showrunners agree that nudity and profanity don't really work in the Star Trek context, so uh, I expect more extreme violence instead. Uh, there are new trailers out. I haven't looked at them, as I rarely look at late trailers so close to anything's premiere, but have at it. Uh, speaking of Tribbles, though, QMX is coming out with a Mirror Tribble toy this month. It's going for 10 bucks a pop. These are cute fluff balls with terrifying teeth, uh, because that's how the Mirror Universe works, apparently. It isn't, but it's still an amusing idea. Look for it on their site. Not a sponsor, I just thought it was weird news. And lastly, I want to address the wild rumors about the Wrath of Khan prequel TV series, because these are very wild, and entirely based on circumstantial evidence, basically the re-release of the film in theaters, and director Nicholas Meyer being attached to the current TV Star Trek projects, that's it. It's true that media has a particular fascination with villains right now. You can just look at the Joker movie, Game of Thrones, House of Cards, etc. So a series about survival on SETI Alpha 4, with all the young, genetically enhanced bucks jostling for preferential treatment, or even Khan's position, would make sense to TV execs, but I've yet to see any real evidence that they're working on such a thing. Now, your listener feedback on episode 12, the bromance between Miles O'Brien and Julian Bashir. Uh, David S. Gutierrez, who we just heard speak at length, uh, says uh, of this, the Bashir-O'Brien friendship was one of the things that helped prove why DS9 was the best Star Trek show of all time. We got to see something develop. The holy TOS trinity was fully formed, so you can't count that. TNG didn't really forge any new relationships that weren't pre-established, except for Picard Data, which was a great teacher-student surrogate, dad-son thing. And Worf Troy, which died a merciful off-screen death. Voyager tried to mirror the uh, Bashir O'Brien bromance with Kim and Paris to lesser success. And Enterprise had a Tucker-Malcolm thing, but who really wants to be Malcolm's friend? I'm curious about your thoughts on Bashir's and Jadzia's development. Out of the original DS9 crew, they probably were the least thought-out characters, but they sure blossomed. Here, uh, that show's guest, Kurt Onstadt, says... Uh, agreed, David. Wharf Troy was a hot mess, but we got a great book out of it, Imzadi 2 by Peter David. Not as good as the original Imzadi novel, which detailed Riker and Troy's first meeting and relationship, but a good read nonetheless. As for your question on Bashir and Jadzia, it's true that these are characters they sort of figured out a bit later, but I'm glad they cracked the code. Chris Franklin of Superbates says, I'm not as up on DS9, but this episode made me want to check these episodes out 
in particular, and Kurt may be the sensational podcast find of 2017. Looking forward to hearing more. Here, Kurt said, thank you, Chris. Your check is in the mail. My goal for the next time I appear on a podcast is to reduce the amount of you knows that come out of my mouth. Other than that, I was pretty happy with my podcast debut and am readily available to talk comics, Star Trek, Doctor Who role-playing, or any number of geeky topics pretty much anytime. Liam Cav says, I'm currently rewatching season one of DS9, and I'm amazed at how unlikable Bashir is. I don't think I noticed it at the time, but he is full of unabashed arrogance and entitlement. Even when he's smiling, it's with an air of, obviously I'm better than everyone else here, but I don't mind talking to you. I was a bit like that myself as a teenager, which might be why I was oblivious. I'm curious as to how it comes off as I rewatch with much more jaded but less arrogant eyes. An anonymous comment said, uh, they really don't know what to do with Bashir at first, and it shows. By the end of the series, though, he inadvertently becomes something important. He remains the guy who clings to the ideals of Starfleet, even when everyone else around him is starting to give in to wartime necessity. Bashir accomplished that mostly by not changing. He toned down his youthful arrogance, but otherwise kept being himself. Bashir is the guy who tries to cure the Jem'Hadar of their addiction to white, and later learns how to cure the changelings, even though the most expedient way to save the Alpha Quadrant is to let the changelings die. Why? Because he's Bashir, and he's a goddamn Starfleet doctor, that's why. Um, Jeff R. says, well, Voyager did do a decent job with some of Seven of Nine's relationships. I imagine, Jeff, you're not talking about the Seven of Nine Chakotay relationship. But he says, but yeah, DS9 was better at this than all the rest. We also had Jake Nog, Worf Dax, Bashir Garrick, and even a bit of Rom O'Brien there. Yeah, that's true. A lot of great relationships in this. Mark Baker Wright says, I'd love to hear a Garrick-focused episode. Yep, that wouldn't be a miss. Uh, Gord Tolton says DS9 is also my favorite Trek iteration, and I've just bought the set and started to work through it all again. Given this episode, which I loved, I wonder if you might also consider a frenemy episode regarding the tempestuous cat-and-mouse relationship between Constable Odo and the legally challenged Quark. Uh, that's another great relationship uh, in Deep Space Nine. If all the shows were about relationships... We'd be returning to Deep Space Nine again and again and again, more often than what ends up happening in the course of Give Me That Star Trek. Tim Price finally says, While TNG was my favorite series, DS9 made me long for imperfect characters and longer storylines, preparing me for Farscape and Firefly. So DS9 is very near and dear to my heart. The next best Trek friendship to me is Data and Geordi, which I'd love to analyze as I think it's also developed during the series. But Bashir and O'Brien was by far the best. Wonderful discussion, gentlemen. I have to rewatch those episodes soon. Break out the tissues for hard time. I'm not crying. You're crying. Don't look at me. And Kurt, yes, please, uh, to a New Warriors podcast, I'll be there. And then later he came back on to say, so you made me rewatch the Bashir O'Brien episodes, and I found one of my favorite bits. Sorry if you mentioned it in the podcast, I can't recall. But in Dr. Bashir, I presume, when O'Brien is being interviewed about Bashir for the LMH program. You can rest assured that I will keep anything you say in the strictest confidence. You're sure about that? I wouldn't want this to get back to Julian. You have my word. Well, the truth is, he's an extraordinary person. A real sense of honor and integrity, great sense of humor, warm, caring. You're sure he's not going to read this? Positive. Uh, yeah, great moment from that episode. And then he says, just the best. Thanks for making me revisit this show. Cheers. <laughs> 
Moving on to Facebook likes and shares from Abel Padilla. Buck O'Brien, who says, I've never really seen all of Deep Space Nine. I'm watching it now. Just started season five and their bromance cracks me up. How much O'Brien despises Bashir in the beginning is hilarious. Also thanks to Chris Franklin, Clinton Robinson of Coffee and Comics, David Ace Gutierrez, D. Bash, Derek William Crabb, Gotham Sharon of Pulp to Pixels Podcast, Gene Hendricks, Jack Dower, Jared West, Jason Mulliken, Jason Pope, John Tipton, John Trumbull, Kalel Kamandi, Kevin Cushing, Laurie Muller, Mario Valverde, Max Romero, Michael Wagner says, yes, I'm sorry Rob Kelly asked about Doctor Who. <laughs> Nikki Elvento, Rob Kelly, who says, can these two Starfleet officers serve together without driving each other crazy? Tune in and find out. Scott Cage and Shag Matthews on Google+, Plus, thanks to Alex Osias and The Hammer Strikes. And on Twitter, retweets and favorites from Aaron Henley, AJ, All New Sucks, Beat Them All, Beatlemania, Billy the Dragon, BoldOutlaw.com, Chris, Chuck Rodriguez, Cindy Womack, Coffin Comics, David Is Gutierrez, Earth to Chris, Fan Holes Podcast, Firestorm Fan, Greg A, Hail Ming Power Hour, Joan Timmons, who said that's awesome, John D. Noel, Max Romero, Pauline81, Rob Kelly Creative of Digest Cast, Film and Water Podcast, Host of Sads, Pod Dylan, Superman Movie Minute, and Treasury Comics. Rolled Spine Podcast, Sam Lowe, Short Bus Cinema, The B&Q Podcast, Tim Price, and Trekonomics, Trekbot. We welcome our robot overlords. As usual, let me remind you that you can leave comments at fireandwaterpodcast.com on the Fire and Water Facebook page and on Twitter using the hashtag FWPodcasts. Until the next, this is Siskoid reminding you to go boldly.